Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Justin Peters. I hope that you and your family are doing well today. I want to thank you very much for joining me uh, to this program. And I am interviewing Fred Butler. Fred is a friend of mine, and Fred and I have known each other for 10, 11 years now or so. Fred has written a book entitled Royal Deceptions, Exposing the King James-Only Conspiracies Against God's Word. Fred, thank you very much for joining me. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, brother. Oh, hey, it is a pleasure and an honor to be here. And uh, you're right. We've known each other, I guess it is about 2010-ish or so, I think, when I first started seeing you coming to church or whatever, or at least seeing one of your your talks that you do. Um, Well, basically, my primary... Uh, duties include, if I'm not raising um, kids with my wife, Brenda, um, I am involved with uh, Gracie Radio Ministries. I work with uh, John MacArthur's um, uh, radio ministry that's uh, all throughout the United States, throughout the world. Uh, My primary job is organizing and um, pulling together all of the free resources and materials that we offer through our ministry uh, on a monthly basis. And I organize a team of volunteers uh, who come, come out and they uh, basically package all of that stuff and send it out in the mail. Uh, those volunteers are primarily individuals uh, who have been at grace for years and years and years. They're retired uh, senior saints and uh, they come out uh, every Tuesday and Thursday uh, for maybe four or five hours, depending on what we're mailing. And they package CDs and books. And um, for the longest time, we also uh, package tapes, but we have since uh, shut that down. So we no longer offer cassette tapes, but yeah. uh, CDs and booklets and books and then all the paperwork like receipts and you know, introduction letters for people to receive and uh, that sort of thing. They, they pull it all together for me and um, put it together. And then I take it on the back end when they're not there on the days that they are away and uh, mail it and get it prepared for mail and that sort of thing. And that's what I normally do. Uh, And then on top of that, I get opportunities to teach them and uh, preach to them when I can. Um, And then I've done a few funerals get to shepherd them, all of that sort of stuff that kind of comes along with managing, oh, I think it's maybe 120 folks that maybe come on a regular, semi-regular basis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a blessing to be there and to enjoy those dear saints like that. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you, Fred. Um, so getting to the subject matter at hand, you've written this book, Royal Deceptions, Exposing the King James Only Conspiracies Against God's Word. And uh, as soon as I saw that you were coming out with this book, I was really excited about it because I am um, not infrequently accused of various things because I'm not a King James Only uh, guy. I am uh, anywhere from being well-intentioned but misguided at best to 
uh, being a all out false teacher and deceiver at worst because I'm, because I'm not King James only. But, yes. Um, welcome to the club. I'm yeah. the same one, the same way. <laughs> yeah. And, and I know that this would reflect your heart as well as we kind of begin here that, uh, one of the things I appreciated about your book is that you're not against the King James no, translation no. at all, uh, but just against the position that says it is, if you're not reading the King James, you're not reading God's word. Right. Uh, right. And you're, you're deceiving people. You're probably a heretic, may not even be saved. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you're coming against. So, um, Tell us a little bit about your progression in this, Fred, because you began as I did. I, back in my much younger days, I was King James only as well. Right, uh, that's right. what I'd been taught was true, and you held that position. So tell us, how did you go from being King James only to being not convinced of those arguments to writing a book <laughs> against that position? Right. Uh, well, it is a long and arduous journey, to be honest with you. No, the... Uh, I think when I was a, a brand new believer, I'm trying to remember back. Oh gosh, it's been over 30 years now. Back in the late 80s, brand new believer as a very young man, I um, had a extreme love for God's word, and I think I am a like uh, like a lot of men, a lot of women who get saved. Um, you have this desire to want to just consume Scripture, and at that time. The Southern Baptists were going through a massive upheaval over the doctrine of inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. And and, uh, those who may be watching this who might remember that, um, the whole issue was whether or not, you know, can we trust Scripture and is it inerrant in all that it touches on and talks about? And there was actually talk about the convention the southern baptist convention splitting and all that sort of thing yeah and i had a buddy of mine who went to my church southern baptist church and and he was like well you know everybody would be we would all be on board the same view of inerrancy if we read the king james and i'm like what is this and he had happened to come across this book written by a, a pastor in oklahoma um, named Gary Flint. And I recently found out that he's now in Florida. If it's the same Gary Flint that I remember uh, back in those, uh, that time several years ago, he's, it's the same guy, uh, pre, uh, pre, pastors and independent fundamental Baptist church. But he had written a book on that topic of why the King James Bible is God's word. Um, and basically criticizing modern versions, all of that sort of thing. And I grabbed his book from my friend who gave it me a copy, who actually sold me a copy, but I got his book and I was reading through it and I was becoming convinced by what this guy was arguing. And one of the things that really struck me is he had some articles written by a fella who is in um, New Zealand. Uh, and this guy is a medical doctor by profession, but at the time had written these articles explaining Bible contradictions and all of this sort of thing, difficult passages that in my Ryrie study Bible in the footnotes, it would say, um, Hey, this is a copyist error, or this is un you know, we don't really know how to reconcile this. Here's some solutions. But this guy was saying, if you go to the text, there are no copyist errors and I'll show you how. And he uses a King James uh, Bible to demonstrate that. And, 
I was just blown away by that. Oh man, that's, you know, he's using God's word to explain God's word. So from the very beginning, that position of King James onlyism presents itself as being a position that wants to honor God's word, that wants to take God's word seriously as without error, that sort of thing. And I was, and I gravitated toward that because that's my convictions about God's word as well. So at the front end, it comes across as a, in a very noble view of scripture. But the problem is that it is narrowly confined to one English translation uh, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, that, well, they have their reasons, but it's just one narrow translation that is, you can't get away from it. You have to always use this particular translation if you're going to have that pure, unadulterated, inerrant word of God. And as I grew in my faith and grew in my understanding of scripture, um, two things happened to me. And I, kind of, I outlined this in, my, in the chapter of my uh, first chapter of my book and again, my little journey. Number one, um, I was introduced to the book New Age Bible Versions by Gail Ripplinger. And oh, if you're yeah. familiar, if you're familiar with Gail Ripplinger, oh, yeah. I mean, she, she's like the Sid Roth of King James only. I mean, she's wild <laughs> conspiracy theory kind of stuff. And her view is the idea that the King James Bible, well, I guess you could say that, that the modern versions depart from the King James because it is the intent of the new age to be introduced by these modern versions into the church so that Christians will be readily acceptable to the Antichrist who was supposed to be coming, right? That's sort of the gist of her book. But she goes through six or 700 pages of all of this strained, arcane, I mean, just bizarre argumentation to get to that point. And when I read through that, I was like, huh, I didn't really know what to make of it because I couldn't believe the conspiracy theories really that she was, uh, you know, throwing my way. Um, She had one section in their particular that was dealing with Westcott and Hort, who were um, two two 19th century uh, textual critics, um, Greek Greek, uh, professors who gave us sort of a new working apparatus that departed from the uh, Texas Receptus from which the King James is uh, translated from. And she had this whole two or three sections of chapters of about these guys and how they were these men who um, were into the new age. They were into the theophysy society, um, all of this sort of strange um, satanic stuff. And I was like, okay, well, I should be able to document whether or not she's saying this is true or not. She had footnotes where she got these comments. So I went and actually found their writings where she's quoted from. And then I started looking at that. I'm like, this is not saying what she's claiming. They're not saying that at all. She's totally right. taking this out of context. Right. So you would think at that moment, I would have this sort of dawning clarity and I would be like, I can't believe King James only is anymore, but that didn't happen. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> there were actual King James only who were critical of her sort of what she was doing and sort of her approach. And so they were like, you know, critical of the book. And so I would read their reviews and their, 
critiques and that sort of gave me comfort though. Okay. Well maybe I'm not, maybe she's just a lunatic fringe person and I don't need to deal with her and, you know, go back to the real King James only ism like Peter Ruckman, who's also kind of a lunatic yeah. fringe guy too, but you know, yeah. boy, it is yeah. what it is. The second thing that really got me though, and this is what really, I think God began to really use in my life is that I was becoming more and more convinced of the doctrines of grace. And so I was, I saw Calvinism as the doctrines of grace called Calvinism. I see it, saw that just as it's unfolded in scripture, as the Bible teaches that um, I saw God's electing grace and his unconditional election as it's taught in scripture, that yeah. the atonement of Christ, you know, actually saving people, that sort of thing. Right. And all of those points are there taught in the Bible. And I was like, yes, I, I agree with this. But at the same time, I discovered that pretty much all of my King James only writers and authors that I appealed to and that I read and were feeding my soul, yeah. they hated Calvinism. Hated Calvinism. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> they hated it as much as they hated modern versions, if not right. more so. Right. And they had some of the loopy, crazy conspiracy theories about John Calvin and about the development of Calvin, all of that stuff. And I was like, this can't be this can't be right. There's, there's, this is just, this is not right. And so I began to like, begin to expose myself to other things that were outside of King James only literature. Mm -hmm. And some of the writings that kind of helped me was like James white. You might uh, be familiar with his ministry. Um, he wrote one yeah. of the first popular treatments critical of King James only called King James only controversy. Yeah. And the first time I read that book, I was absolutely a critic of it and I totally marked it up and had oh, really? my mean spirited comments and everything in it. Um, but then as I was maturing and I went back and gave it a second read and that's when I think God began to turn on the lights about just showing me how um, God's word was really preserved. It wasn't preserved the way the King James only were telling me, but it was preserved because you can see how he works through these various manuscripts, these groups of Christians, and how they, um, the Spirit of God, worked in these people to copy the scriptures and goes down through time to give us our Bibles in our hands today. So yeah. through just that agony of working my way through the King James, through the King James only literature against Calvinism and other things like that, I think God eventually weaned me away from this and uh, from that position and began to see other, other seeing the scriptures in a new light that what yeah. I was being, uh, had been previous than what I had been previously taught. And uh, it's just something that really just clicked and turned on a light for me. Uh, when I began to consider these truths anew, um, I eventually found myself as the internet began to grow and become more stable uh, in the two thousands I was a part of a lot of discussion groups and a little email forums and that sort of thing. And I was on some that were dedicated to King James onlyism. And I began to sort of interact with these guys. And I discovered that there was this sort of quiet majority of people who didn't really interact or just lurkers are reading the comments, reading the emails and stuff. And they would contact me away from the group you know, direct message me saying, you know, I don't really believe in this King James, this stuff anymore. Could you help me understand this? And I began to like uh, answer these people and respond to them and write to them and stuff. And 
eventually all of this material uh, found its way in a series of blog articles that I wrote, gosh, like 2006, maybe. So you're looking over 15 years ago that I began to write this stuff out and on a blog. Is that blogging was the, the brand new hobby everybody was doing. And you always want to find some fodder in order to fill your uh, blog with. So I began to write on this topic and I organized it around what I thought were the main points or the main key um, apologetic points that King James only is used, uh, or at least how I kind of thought about King James onlyism. And I answered those various points. So the chapters in my book um, are centered around those various points that I had written out in my blog articles. When yeah. I went back and put it in. Well, let's, um, I don't want to, you know, we can't go as in-depth to these as, as your book obviously does, but uh, yeah, you broke this down in six, the six most common arguments that we hear from the, those who advocate the King James only position, the exclusivity argument, promise, mm-hmm. textual, uh, the argument that heretics corrupted the Bible, uh, the purity argument, scholarship, and then historical. So just in a few minutes, can we... Can you give us the cliff note version of, of these six arguments? I, I most certainly can. Okay. Um, just so what's that? I, <laughs> Go ahead. Again? Well, I was oh, going to say my, um, in my book, I have the first chapter the second little chapter kind of out. will outline this as I go through and I'll just kind of highlight this as I, as I read through this here, but basically the, um, the exclusivity argument is just, it comes from the idea that, when you argue or discuss King James onlyism with a King James onlyist, they assume that the word of God, the inspired inerrant infallible word of God alone is the King James Bible. So any, any departure from the King James text, whether clarifying it or retranslating it or whatever that might be is then going to be tampering with the word of God alone. That's kind of how they argue and they think through that. Um, So I talk about that argument, then talk about the promise argument, which is based on um, out of uh, Psalm chapter uh, 12, verse seven, where it talks about the whole idea that God has promised to preserve his word. um, It's purified in the fire seven times. um, And and they'll and, uh, they'll use that passage to describe how, well, this is the word of God being preserved. And it's preserved seven times, um, and that's the seven translations or the six translations before the King James, and it's the final purified word of God. Uh, but the problem is, is Psalm twelve seven is not talking about physical manuscripts. It's talking about God preserving his people against the enemies that were rising up to try to destroy them. It has right. nothing to do with the Bible. Um, right. Then thirdly is the textual argument. Um, which has the idea that um, in the, the uh, it's interestingly, King James only don't really have a whole lot of material apologetic work in the old Testament. The one guy who sort of did is DA Waite, um yeah. who argued that there was this one edition of the um, Hebrew text that the King James used that he claims is the pure textual Hebrew text of the, of the Bible that God preserved. And then the Greek text, which is the Texas Receptus or the TR. And so they'll claim that those two texts 
are what we need to translate from. Some King James only us go as far as to say there is no longer a need to translate from the Hebrew and the Greek. The King James is completely sufficient. It's done its best. It's the best translation of those texts. So it's not even necessary to learn the original languages. But yeah. they'll go through that and they'll claim that any any manuscripts that kind of come from North Africa and Alexandria um, are suspect and they've been tainted by heretics and so forth. And um, they'll claim that, you know, you see God's hand of providence directing, you know, these texts over time, the one, the TR and this um, Hebrew text uh, that they, uh, that Daniel Waite uh, identifies. The purity argument goes back to the whole idea of how the, um, Various translations that came before the King James, where you see God burning off the dross, that there's this line of good Bibles that you can find and um, that you can see God's hand. I, I talk about how that's just cannot be the case. Um, there's many editions and translations between Whitcliffe's first translation that they usually identify um, to the King James. It's more than yes. seven. Right. And then the last, uh, the well, that's the last one. The, the scholarship argument just talks about how the King James only, uh, or the King James scholars, men who translated it, the King James are the greatest textual scholars the world has ever known. Um, they'll even put them on an apostolic or near apostolic level. They were yeah. receiving divine revelation or something, but that's not the case either. Um, you go through and look at their lives. They were good men, great guys but they were fallible and had problems just like everybody else. And then the last point is the historical argument, which just talks about how the King, you see God's hand on the King James because you see how it's, you know, gone around the world and it has this great history connected to it and uh, all that sort of thing. But when you kind of go back and you evaluate those stories and those claims, that's not entirely accurate. Um, yeah. the King James is not what was the, 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 really the catalyst behind the great awakening, but it was really what I believe to be pre the preaching of God's word, the exposition of scripture. And I would say the proclamation of the doctrines of grace, uh, those were the things that God used during the great awakenings to bring revival. It wasn't tied to one particular translation. So to speak. Right. So those are my main chapters. I have some uh, appendices in there. I talk about Chris Pinto's Tears Among the Wheat um, video that a lot of people have been uh, referencing in recent years. Um, I do a book review of the Walmart version. <laughs> the Walmart, actually, I have it here. Uh, the Walmart King James that you could have gotten in 2011 celebrating the 400th anniversary of the King James. Um, they had it for five bucks at Walmart. So I grabbed this oh, grabbed wow. up a copy. Um, yeah. So you can kind of look at the original King James text. They don't have the Apocrypha in it though. That's what was right. kind of a bummer because the original King James had the Apocrypha, but right. And, and anyway. speaking of the original King James, Oh my goodness. I, I mean, this takes me back to my college days when I was going to a King James only church myself. And uh, what's so funny is that all these, all these men and, and women who argue so strongly for the King James, that it is the only 
reliable translation. It is the word of God. Nothing else is. If they actually had an original 1611, they wouldn't even be able to read it. No, exactly. And you look at, and I was just reading through this one here. Um, it has that, not only does it have the strange font that we're not really familiar with, you know, it's kind yeah. of flowery and all that, but it's just the way that they have like different letters. Like I think it's the, the F shape is like yeah. supposed to be pronounced with an S sound and right. uh, I is a J sound and so forth. So it's I O B for Job rather than J O B. I mean, it's right. Uh, it's just, it, you're exactly right. And it's, um, I think it's our friend Andrew Rappaport was telling me the story about one of the times, you know, when someone talks about, you know, being a King James guy coming to his church, he said, here, take my King James Bible. Let me have yours. I want you to use that tonight to listen to the sermon with you know, read through it. And the guy was, you know, that he did that with was like, couldn't get his normal King James back because it's not a 1611 edition right. i mean it's like a 1789 or something like that i don't even know what the where they kind of ended it but um yeah it has gone through multiple multiple revisions over the years right changing words and phrasing and that sort of thing and um yeah, yeah that, it, it is ironic uh and what many people of these many of these king james only advocates are thinking is the 1611 King James. It's not the 1611 King James at all. Right. Uh, right. They, they wouldn't be able to read it. I want to, I want to kind of circle back to what you were talking about earlier. And this, I guess would be under the, the, the textual argument because right. we hear this a lot and I, um, Oh, the, it's only the textus receptus, you know, the, the TR that can be, that is reliable and all the other manuscripts that serve as the foundation for like, the uh, RSV or the New American Standard; those use corrupted manuscripts, and they're they're not reliable. Right. They're they're they've been corrupted, and so why is that? A, why is that not a valid argument? Because most people, quite honestly, you know, when they hear Texas Receptus or Masoretic Text or Alexandrian manuscript, they don't know what in the world that's those talking. Things about. are, yeah, 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 yeah. So what? What's kind of the um, what? What's the layman's argument uh, when a response i suppose when when someone is confronted with that argument from a kjo kjv only person you, you're okay, using so, corrupted manuscripts yeah okay so king james only assumed I'm, I'm trying to think about back when i was a king james onlyist and how i would sort of lay this out so basically it's the idea that modern versions are based upon um ancient biblical manuscripts particularly in the greek um, there's not a whole lot of discussion and debate about the Hebrew because that's a different language altogether. And, and there's a whole lot of, there, there's, well, the one, there's some consistency. There's more consistency with those texts uh, than there are with New Testament texts. And, um, you know, and they're, they're not as many. So they tend to ignore those, you know, the problems found in the Old Testament. But yeah. the idea is that in the New Testament, Modern versions um, utilize what are considered older and best manuscripts, meaning that they were manuscripts that, for the most part, circulated around Alexandria, Egypt, and North Africa, throughout that region of the world at the time, and in the and in the and in the Levant, you know, where Israel and that area is. 
Whereas the Masoretic text, um, what's or the well, not the Masoretic, that's the Hebrew, the uh, the majority text, um, yeah. uh, it's circulated in upon around Asia Minor. Um, the reason why they don't like the Alexandrian text is uh, several reasons, but one, uh, the primary reason is there's not a whole lot of those available for us to utilize, and they sort of they seem to give the appearance that Christians stopped using them and they dropped off out of history and no one really used them. But that's not necessarily the case. Um, when you study the history of the early church, where was the early church primarily located in the world? Well, it was in North Africa and it was around Alexandria, Egypt. So there would be a whole lot of circulation of those texts, I believe, at that time, up to about maybe four or five hundred years after. But around 650, 700s in that time frame, there was a major cataclysmic event that took place, which is the coming of Islam. And so Islam basically destroyed all those churches there in North Africa. Everybody had to go back over to Asia Minor. They took those manuscripts with them, I believe, in some cases. Uh, But during the time that the the North uh, African colonies and Christians were thriving, you did have Christians in Asia Minor who were copying texts and and, uh, making their own manuscripts and all that sort of thing. But when when Islam came in, they basically wiped out that ability for them to maintain their texts. Okay. So they don't, they're not going to be there. So the, the, they're, they're there. We have copies of those and they do exist. Um, but the majority of them are going to be found in and around Asia minor. And over time, mm-hmm. um, what we kind of see is if you're a, if you're a smart thinking textual critic, you're going to kind of note these little, additions and flourishes and extra things that come uh, that have kind of accumulated in the texts that are in the majority family. And the problem with that is um, they may not necessarily be what the original said because they've added extra stuff to them. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that Christians were copying this and they were like, well, I don't know if this was originally what John said, but I'm going to maintain it. And I will note it in the footnote or or as a footnote or inside margin or whatever that this was, you know, this other text over here says this or whatever. And so they were very meticulous about tracking all of that kind of stuff. So King James only will say that because modern translations um, after the fall of the Ottoman Empire in 17, 1800s, people started going back in there and finding these older manuscripts that had pretty much fallen out of use because they just were not circulated because Muslims wouldn't allowing them to. And so they will begin to like put together a working translation, uh, translatable apparatus as it were, that was going to be used to translate into English. And they were utilizing readings that were found in these families that were in Alexandria. And so they'll claim that, well, you know, King James only will claim, well, those aren't really reliable. There's not that many of them. They weren't in circulation. They tend to ignore all the part about the Muslims coming in there and wiping out the Christian communities there. Um, But they'll claim that, you know, uh, origin and all of these various Christians there in North Africa had weird uh, loopy ideas about spiritualizing the text, which is true. But they didn't mess up the actual physical text. They weren't 
right. messing that up. They were just t- interpreting it kind of in a loopy way. We have that today. And when you talk to somebody who has like a literal hermeneutic, as opposed to someone who has a spiritualized hermeneutic, right. uh, some of our reform brethren, who might think like that. That's not them messing with the actual physical text. It's just the way that they sort of approach reading the Bible. And so they'll conflate that's those an two important, things. Not to interrupt, but that's an important point. There's a, there's a big difference between uh, intentionally changing right. the text, copying it uh, wrongly, and interpreting what is written wrongly. They, yes. So the, their problem was in their theology, not in the in the manuscripts themselves or the, the way they copied it, it was, it was just the exactly. way they interpreted what they copied. And that's exactly right. And, and most heretics, the good vast majority of them weren't physically altering the manuscripts to make them say that Jesus was a created being or something like that. They just interpreted the text that was there that was preserved in a wrong way. They were theologically, um, wrong in the way that they approached the Bible. And that's the teaching that they, you know, kind of promoted the people who did mess up the text and begin to like alter it were usually immediately identified and were marked out as her- heretical and told to be avoided. Like, right. um, I think it was a modernist. I always get him and Marcy messed up, but early on, the he was taking out um all of the pretty much got rid of the old testament and Marcia, it was just yeah. Yeah, is it marcy yeah, i think it was marcy yeah. Montanus was a charismatic guy what yeah guy? right marcy yeah <laughs> my my uh church history guy yeah um <laughs> marcy basically got uh he basically was saying hey just these gospels were legitimate and paul's writings were legitimate and everything else was suspect. And so he was creating his own phony canon. And within that first couple of hundred years, when he was there, you know, disturbing the peace of the church, Christians recognized that he was, you know, teaching heresy and they threw out his stuff. But yeah. you didn't see them doing that with the, you know, origin stuff or with people who right. were down in, in North Africa. You know, there, there were, were there heretical men? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, I always find it interesting and amusing that when you look at the whole, the first major church controversy, um, the Arian controversy where you they confirmed the deity of Christ, the guy who was the most vociferous and was like a do- bulldog on a bone was Athanasius, who was from Alexandria, Egypt. He yeah. was the guy who was like absolutely determined to defend that doctrine. Whereas everybody in Asia Minor, where the majority text was, you know, they were basically becoming Arians in their theology. And it wasn't for him standing and holding that line, you know, it would have probably ruined the church from that point onward. But God raised him up and made him who he was as a man of God to defend that doctrine. And eventually it righted the ship and, you know, people rejected Arianism as heresy. Like they should have the first time, you know, when they did the first time around, but they don't tend to recognize Athanasius. So he, what manuscripts would he have been using? Well, probably the Alexandrian manuscripts. Yeah. So are we going to say that he's a heretic because he's using a, you know, manuscripts that don't have, 
you know, the, the whole title of Jesus's name in them and just Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus rather than the Lord Jesus Christ or whatever. Right. You know, it's just, uh, it's those sort of things that are a problem. And, um, you know, and as my, as the subtitle of my book kind of suggests, I think that because King James only is really drink in these conspiracies, they do more harm and damage to what the word of God is and to our convictions about what we should believe about the word of God than they are doing good. And that's what I'm wanting to try to um, nail and try to expose as a problem. And people need to turn away from that's the point of it. That's what my thesis of my book kind of aims at. Yeah, absolutely. And Fred, another argument I hear from people, well, the, well, the translators of the NIV and, and I'm, Full disclosure, I'm not a fan of the NIV. It's I'm too, not either. too paraphrastic for me. Yep, yep. Um, but uh, but anyway, that's the argument. The, 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 our translators of the NIV and the translators of the New American Standard, which I do uh, use, going to the legacy standard now, but that's not a conversation. <laughs> that's but uh, but uh, anyway, that, that these were liberal translators and some of them had a homosexual agenda and they are, you know, what, so what would you, what would you say mm-hmm. to that argument? So this is okay. not really a manuscript per se, but, but the translators. Right. Right. It's the translators. Okay. Well, there are, there is, I think in the original really good um, English translations, like the ESV and the NASB and uh, even the new King James, which is sort of a redo of the King James, a little bit different um, from the text that they utilize in the in the from the original translation. Um, you do have solid men who are translating those Bibles. You can trust them. Um, are yeah. there are there translators who do have and publishers of English Bibles that have something of an of an agenda? Well, I think in some respects they do, but again, we're able to identify that. What the King right. James heretic argument is going to try to say is that somehow it's clandestine, it's un, it's unknowable, it's just a little bit of leaven that's introduced, and somehow that's supposed to totally lead you into being a raving, progressive, magenta-haired, screeching woman, you know, <laughs> about <laughs> screaming about abortion rights or something. That's not happening. Um, the the reality is, is that. Um, you can, they'll usually publish their agenda. I think the NIV went through a, um, through a revision. Was it in 2011, if I'm not mistaken, where they were gonna, they even said, yeah, we want to try to, um, throw in gender neutral words. Yeah. Yeah. They were very upfront about what they were doing. Well, that immediately, uh, you know, alarms me to say, I don't want to have anything to do with your Bible. And I'm going to tell people to stay away from it. Yep. Because these other translations don't do that. Yeah. Um, I think with the homosexual stuff, now there's probably in our modern day here, there probably are, you know, I can see there being some gay oriented translators that want to try to throw out some new version that will try to either downplay or um, make homosexuality not a sin. I can see that happening. The message uh, by Eugene Peterson does that even though he was not himself homosexual, but uh, I, in fact, I've been planning on doing a program on this, but the message, oh, you should, you should, the you message should. version 
by Eugene Peterson does exactly what you're talking about. Right. And, and you you can definitely have that happening, but we recognize that. Um, the, I think the, usually the King James only, this is Gail Ripplinger's big thing was Virginia Mellencott, who was one of the stylists on the NIV. She didn't have anything to do as far as I recall with any of the wording of the NIV. And again, I don't like the NIV like what you're saying. It's too right. it's too much of a paraphrase. They're going too much thought for thought, you know, big dynamic equivalent yeah. stuff that I, I don't really care for. Um, but she was on the back end after all that work was completed doing if anybody knows anything about style and editorial um you know work, all you're doing is just making sure all the commas are in are inserted correctly and the you know you have the various quote air quotes and all that stuff around the words uh you know the question mark where there's supposed to be a question mark they're not she's not injecting her gay stuff and at least not in the original niv um so that's just it's just a bogus argument to falsely claim you know this woman had this influence when it didn't and when she did not um I believe Christians, I mean, all, all of the major evangelical conservative Bibles we can trust. And I would even argue, read the King James. Um, I, I'm not against yeah. Christians grabbing a King James. Use it as your devotional at night before you go to bed or whenever you do your devotional. Read a chapter, you know, go through the Proverbs and the King James. I believe it is one of the greatest literary works and english that we have in our possession and yeah. uh, it, it, yeah. it is the work of william tendale because the king james only guys or the king james translators um utilize his work they were pulling from his uh when he was translating into english they were taking a lot of his wording a lot of his phrasing and they yeah. were putting it into the king james and so we have that wonderful legacy from the reformation even though king james did not intend for it to be a reformation bible he was looking for it to be a counter reformation bible but that's another <laughs> discussion that's another discussion yeah 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 and and another thing too fred is is the fact that i, I agree with you i'm not against the king james either and i read it i don't i don't preach from it i might cite it i might cite the king james translation from time to time but i i don't preach from it of uh, for one reason, not the least of which is the fact that English has evolved in the it last has. few hundred years. And um, in one well-known verse, probably almost everyone watching us right now knows first Corinthians 13, 13. Uh, now these three things remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. We all know that right. verse, but the King James, and I've got it in front of me says, and now a, this first Corinthians 13, 13, and now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, charity today has a very different connotation, a very right. different usage than it did, you know, three or 400 years ago. Right, right. So, yeah, because their whole thing of charity is they're going to say, if I remember my smart thinking King James only, it's like, well, charity brings out that word agape which i think is what that's translated there if i'm not mistaken yeah um and it's talking about giving to others and and all that sort of thing but i'm not 
thinking that whenever I think of charity, I'm thinking about, you know, you know, a, a women's pre- yeah. crisis pregnancy center or something like that, right. or some, yeah. you know, goodwill or something. I'm not thinking right. unconditional love, you know, and right. I can see love and have, and part of preaching the text is explaining the meaning of that word and how it's nuanced and what Paul meant by it. You know, you don't yeah. have to have charity. <laughs> There's lots of words like that too. I think if I, yeah, um, that have all kinds of little problems. I think it talks about fetching a compass, you know, when it meant that, and we circled back around, you know, when he, when Paul or when, when Luke was kind of describing Paul's journeys on the, on the sea, <laughs> so when right. we fetched a compass around the island, it's like, okay, well, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. I kind of understand what that means. I'm guessing it means it went around to the north. Of, I don't know. Right, right. Yeah. Well, Fred, I, I found your book very, very helpful. It's very readable. It's it's immensely readable. It, and it's got scholarly things in it, academic things in it. Uh, you do a really good job with the history and the textual arguments and all that, but it's very readable. You don't have to have a seminary degree right. to read the book. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew to benefit from it. And uh, so I, I'm really appreciative, really appreciative of your work. Um, yeah, my I designed it and wrote it out. Um, really, um, the the what sort of triggered me putting it in print. All this work is. Um, I had a friend, um, one of my, my, actually my boss at work was like, Hey, I've got this lady who's just this, um, you know, church going woman who's been given this King James only book. Do you have anything uh, that you could give to her that would respond to some of its arguments because she was mm-hmm. troubled by what this guy was saying. And I didn't really have anything. I mean, I had my articles online, but I said, I don't really have any document I could give her. I mean, give her James White's book, but James White, which is readable and it's a good book, and I highly recommend it. It's a little daunting because it's almost 400 pages, and it's right. You know, he transliterates the Greek language in there and all that sort of stuff. So you have to sort of know what he's talking about in order to, you know, get a hold of it. So my my goal in putting this together um, was really to kind of have like an introduction introduction to this issue and i list some um, other sources in the back so you can cite my or, or look at my bibliography and um kind of go through my sources i put a little asterisk next to the ones that i think are are recommended for further study and uh it's designed to somebody you got that sunday school teacher that's struggling with this it's got yeah. some disruptive troll right. <laughs> in his sunday school class he can give him give him this book and he can kind of read through the arguments and get a an anchor points on what yeah he should answer this guy and some other references that he can maybe appeal to and look at and, and provide something of a of a arsenal for him to pull from. Uh, yeah. That was my whole point in writing that. I hopefully it'll have that impact in people's lives. Yeah, yeah, I believe it will. I believe it will. And and uh, as both of us having come from that kjv only background and we both held to that um there's a lot of people who are who may be watching us right now and and they are king james only but they are so not because they know better but because that's what they've been taught and and uh, now some people do know better and they still hold to it and and those kind of folks you really can't (laughs) it's hard to deal with them but (laughs) uh 
Right. But there's a lot, I would say most of the King James only people watching us right now, you, maybe you've, uh, what would you say to those who, Hey, you've, you've been taught this. I know it's what you believe. Uh, um, what is your appeal to them? Well, my really, I would just encourage them as a believer, you need to exercise. That's where you have to exercise the discernment. You've got other believers out there who are solid individuals who are not King James only. Are you going to condemn them because they're not reading your preferred translation of the Bible? Uh, I mean, I've, I had a guy email me last week, just basically, I can't, but this is from the pit of hell kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm like, really? I mean, I just, I'm, I, you know, I'm very much a likable guy and i love the lord and i love his word and i mean i don't know how much more inerrant you can get i mean i golly i'm a six-day creationist for crying out loud right. i mean what more could i what more can you do the right. uh the um and but you, you i just would encourage those folks get get this book find or other like-minded resources and look at it i think you are what we think about god's word and how we understand scripture and how it should shape how we understand its history and it's um, how God brought it down to us and preserved it really in uh, throughout church history is vitally important. And we need to have kind of a, a handle on the, on those truths so that we can talk with our, you know, you got that college age student that comes back from, harvard or wherever and they've been radicalized into their progressive nonsense that's going on now you know and they're going to be you know anti-homeschool and i can't believe i was raised in this terrible you know concentration camp of a family going to church every day you know how they are you're able to answer their objections and talk with them and what king james only has have done is created this alternative history about god's word that is not sustainable by the facts of history and yeah. we need to be aware of that because if you go out there with those arguments as a King James only is, and you begin to engage people who know what they're talking about, you're going to be smashed. And regrettably, it could cause a lot of people to lose their faith and, and it becomes earth shaking for them because this guy yeah. knew what to say. And this is not true about King James or whatever it might be. And my book is designed to kind of um, help you see those conspiracies, to look at them and to reevaluate them, because you don't want that to be shaping what you think about God's word. You want the truth about what God says about his word and what and how he has demonstrated how he has preserved it throughout history. You want that shaping your thinking, not you know, these loopy ideas and conspiracy stuff that comes from this um, narrow camp of individuals. It's just not yeah. sustainable in reality. Right, right. There is a, a real danger that underlines the underlies the KJV only position. It, it's very right. dangerous. It has a potential of, you know, shaking people's faith, shipwrecking their faith. And uh, when the arguments fall apart, as, as they do, and, and I often tell people, well, what do you do with people who don't speak English from your oh, yeah. only position? What what about the guy? What about the guy in in the Philippines who speaks uh, what is it Tagalog? Tagala, 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 Tagala. You know, or, or Mandarin. 
yeah. you know, they're not reading the King James version. Uh, you know, what about that? It's, it's just, it's this logic breaks down so quickly. Well, I'll tell you a story. I had a, a volunteer come to me and she told me, Hey, she asked about my book and she said, um, well, her brother, um, he's a King James only as he comes from a Methodist background. They had a very weak view of the word of God found this King James only church. And he likes it because they have a very high view of scripture. You know, it's all commendable and everything. And he's a King James only. And I said, well, I wrote this book and, you know, I'd be happy to send him a copy. And she's like, well, I don't think he would understand it. I'm like, why is that? Well, he doesn't speak English. And I'm like, what? <laughs> well, he's only really speaks Korean as his first language. I'm like, how does he become a Korean King James only? <laughs> and, and, and it's like, you have to translate the King James into Korean. I mean, I don't get mm. how it works, but I'm like, yeah. this poor guy is in this terrible bondage to this one Elizabethan era translation. He's not going to be able to understand God's word because yeah. he's committed to this point of view. I mean, seriously, right. I mean, I just was, it was really kind of sad in some ways when I was telling me that story. And I was yeah. like, man, it's, that's what I'm hoping to kind of dispel. You know, I want to help people yeah. overcome that. Yeah. It's just loony. And uh, another verse, kind of like first Corinthians 13, 13 thing. Um, this is, my friends and I used to laugh at this actually in, in Matthew 25, 25 part B, the second part of Matthew 25, 25 in the King James, it says, lo, there thou hast, that is thine. <laughs> I don't, who even knows what that means? <laughs> lo, there thou hast, that is thine. I guarantee you, if you walked up to a hundred people, English speaking people as primary language and said, lo, there thou hast, that is thine they wouldn't have the first clue as to what you're talking about. <laughs> so, you know, and, I know. and so, there's all kinds of interesting things like that. I'm sure we could find if we yeah. take the time to look at it. Right. <laughs> like, oh man, <laughs> I can't believe this, but yeah, God's yeah. words have been to be clear. And Tyndale yeah. who gave us kind of the background and the underpinnings of the King James wanted the word of God to continue to be clear. I mean, he would want just to be revised and updated and yeah. put to the new. And if there's newer manuscripts than what he had available, I guarantee you would have used them, would have looked oh, at yeah. them, considered them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's yeah. that was his life goal. That's what he gave his blood for so that we could yeah. have the word of God and it could be clear. Yeah, exactly. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, Fred, thank you very much, brother. I, I appreciate you joining me for this program. Oh, yeah. Um, as we, as we wrap up here, where can people get your book? Okay. Well, go to Amazon. I know Amazon's got, got all these issues with it right now, but go to Amazon and, um, just type in Royal deceptions, Fred Butler. It should pop right up. There is a Kindle version as well as a paperback. I thought the paperback that my friend who created the, uh, cover did a wonderful job. It's the yeah. King James with the little, tinfoil hat on his head and um uh yeah so he's uh he's <laughs> it's uh it's uh you can find it there um if you like it please leave me a positive review apparently that supposedly does wonders about getting it pushed up to the front and and um you know i'm i'm hoping this will be a blessing to the church that's my that's my main goal want to really encourage folks with it and yeah. just think right about the word of god 
Yeah. Well, I, I think it'll do just that. And I'm, as I said, I'm really excited about it. I've read it. So it's a great book. And um, dear ones, again, neither Fred nor I is against the King James. We mm-hmm. both appreciate the King James. It's just, it's not the only reliable translation out there. And uh, to hold to that position, the King James Version only position, um, there's a lot of danger in that. It hurts a lot of people. Um, it breaks down logically very quickly. And um, there are good translations out there. Stick with the, you and I would both say, stick with the literal translation, which would be the King James, but yeah. also the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, and of course now the Legacy the Standard. Legacy, the leg- I was going to say Legacy Study Bible, but it's a Legacy Standard Bible. That's coming yeah. out in its full, I think, Old Testament and New Testament in October, I think, maybe November, so right before Christmas. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of a, and there's a video online, those men talking about why they put that Bible together. And it really had to do with the fact that they wanted to sort of preserve the text of the NASB, which, um, they all agreed was probably the best English because the NASB was sort of a, a redo of the American standard version back in 1901. And they wanted to kind of recapture it. And, um, they, some changes in it is they wanted to really emphasize, the name of God, which is Yahweh in the Bible. Um, That's going to be hard for me to kind of get used to because when I think of the Lord, I mean, I use the Lord all the time. The capital L, the capital L O R D is Yahweh. That's his covenant name. And so they've redone all of those instances where you had the capital L O R D, uh, the unpronounceable tetragrammaton as seminary students call it. Uh, They put, they put right, (laughs) write it out as Yahweh. Yeah. And um do yeah. to you do, know do slave to slave instead of servant yeah. which is you know it's what it should be slave. Yep, yep. So it's uh, the legacy stand in fact I'm I've got a copy of it right now if y'all can see That's that. That's the so, New Testament and the Proverbs and Psalms, yeah. right? Yeah. Psalms, yeah. Proverbs and the New Testament. That's all that's out thus far, but as you said the the entire thing will be out Lord willing later this year later in 2021. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yep. but, um, Fred brother, thank you very much. Thank you for your work in this. I'm excited about it. And, uh, folks pick up a copy of Royal deceptions. Uh, it'll be a, a really good read and uh, very helpful for your friends and family members who, who may be caught up in this deception. Hence yep. the title. All right. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Fred. All right, brother. God bless you. And, Dear ones, thank you for joining me very much. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.